Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Six. And Father, as I was preparing for this episode, something dawned on me, um, which was this essential realization that I have brought a number of different and varying topics to you throughout the years, and you've always had an answer. You, you, you've always been able to figure something out um, and, and more or less have a, a very strong and coherent thought process to it. And I just want to start this episode by saying thank you for that, because I've brought in things from real world examples to, to how I'm thinking things are going on in the Bible and, and have been wrong before. And I've been right before. So I, I thank you for, for always being willing to, to handle the topic, regardless of how crazy and off the wall it might be sometimes. So I thank you for that up front. Um, and with, with this episode, um, I'm actually thinking of something that had come from one of the readings during the Easter season. And it's flat out something that, as I was listening to it, confused me. So let me set the timeline as I see it, and then you can correct me after the fact. So this is after the resurrection. Jesus appears to his disciples, and then it says Jesus breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Fast forward through a couple of events. Jesus does the ascension into heaven. There is a period of time. And then there's the reign of fire and the dissension of the Holy Spirit. So basically what my question is, is did the apostles, I, I guess ultimately is what when Jesus said, when Jesus breathes upon them and re- says, receive the Holy Spirit, is that them receiving the Holy Spirit then? Or do they receive it? on Pentecost when there's the rain of fire. So that's essentially the the confusing part that I'm trying to clarify, um, which I'm sure will lead to other things about me being confused, but starting with this one particular nugget and giving you the floor. Well, uh, the answer is yes. So uh, thanks for your uh, kind words also about always having an answer. I'm not not entirely sure that that's uh, always a good thing. Um, it's sometimes dangerous to always have an answer because sometimes it's, it's wrong, I suppose, if you're always having an answer, but, but on the other hand, there is a, there is a way of thinking, you know, there is an approach to reality. It's sort of like, uh, for a mathematics person, it's one thing to have a number of dots, a number of plotted points. It's another thing to know the equation of the function that plotted those points. And, uh, and I, I certainly don't have the uh, perfect uh, function for to plot all of the points of reality, but it really does help us philosophically and theo- theologically with the rest of life. So uh, I, I have enough of the points from thank, thanks to our faith, thanks to knowledge of the catechism, thanks to just anyway, um, that, that we can often come up with something, at least bring something together, fit something together and uh, bring it into a place that I understand. So uh, I just say that not to talk about me, but just to say that I, you know, it's not, it's not about me. In fact, it's just, that's the gift of our faith is it really is Catholic. There is nothing that's authentically human that isn't purified, perfected, and elevated by the Catholic faith. Uh, It really is authentically uh, universal, which is what the word uh, Catholic means in Greek. So uh, just an encouragement for people. You know, we tend to get our wisdom from a lot of other weird places, and it's wisdom that's not universal. Uh, there, there are bits and pieces that that fit together some 
particular experiences and but uh but the catholic wisdom is is really a universal wisdom and you know it's it's work to understand it and apply it but just to encourage people to keep pushing in that direction you we all have questions and in that direction you will find answers <laughs> so it's uh it's a good thing in terms of that question about the holy spirit the holy spirit is the one who is the the living presence of God still within us and still between us in our midst. He is the spirit who animates the church, which is a collection of relationships. And he is the spirit who animates us individually with his sevenfold gifts. And so we receive him personally and we receive him collectively. We receive him in ourselves and we receive him in our relationships. And so there's all those dimensions going on. You mentioned uh, two givings of the Spirit uh, in John's Gospel, the breathing on the apostles in the upper room, and in Luke's Gospel, or actually in the Acts of the Apostles, but Luke's composition, the pouring out of tongues of fire in the upper room on the disciples and apostles. And both of those things highlight different aspects of the giving of the Spirit. We could say there's a third one. The third one would be from the cross. Jesus expired. He breathed out the Spirit. He, he breathed his last. But that expiration uh, is, is also speaking of a, a breathing out of the Spirit. One can argue that it's just saying he died in so many words, but uh, our understanding of the scripture and the way that John's gospel works is, is to say there's a pouring out of the spirit already there on the cross. So how many times have you received the spirit, Joe? Uh, yeah, well, lots. Uh, so there have been some concrete moments in baptism and then again in confirmation, but the spirit is involved in all of the sacraments. Every sacrament has a what we call an epiclesis. It's a calling down of the spirit. And that's signified by the, the priest extending his hands with palms down. And there are various forms of that, but that more or less exists in all of the sacraments, in all of the different rites of the church. It's a pretty universal symbol for calling down the spirit. So we keep calling down the spirit. We keep making ourselves available to him. And what we read in the scriptures. Now, again, I'm, I'm trying to expand rather than fixating on one moment in time. What's the moment? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to show the abundant generosity of God who is not just stingy and getting down to one moment, but God is in fact pouring himself out. It's, it's better to think of like waves on the beach. You know, when was the wave? Well, there isn't the wave. There's lots of waves. It's wave after wave after wave. And that's really the way that God gives himself to us. He gives himself to us in waves, one repeated after the next, one bigger, those 10-foot waves, and then they diminish at a different time of the day into one-foot waves or six-inch waves. And so we have these kinds of waves of God's self-gift, self-revelation poured out on us. And then again, to bring it into another realm of experience, think of it in terms of love. When you have a very deep, beautiful human relationship, when was the time that you loved Teresa? Well, there wasn't a time. There were lots of times in varying degrees. 
and they build on each other and there's wave after wave. There was a beautiful moment when you first met, but that was a that was smaller than a little bit later when you got to know each other and there was a big moment of, of connection and then a big moment of marriage. And then, you know, so there are waves of these things. And that's the spirit is the love of God. And so that analogy with love is, is a very accurate one. It's a very precise one because that is the analogy of, of God's self-gift to us is, is the analogy of human love, especially in marriage. So uh, now, to have that whole context, I, hopefully I've muddied the waters enough that I can paint anything in them now <laughs> and come back to the specific points that you asked about. What's the giving of the Spirit? At the death of Christ, it's, it's the fullness of his revelation in a certain sense is how much does he love us? He loves us to the end, he said in, uh, in the Gospel of John. And he expressed that love uh, actually in the Last Supper. First of all, he captures all of the mysteries in this ritual meal that he then entrusts to the apostles to carry on. And so the Last Supper, which is the Eucharist, the Mass, has everything. It has everything. It has the giving of Christ. It has the giving of the Spirit as the renewal of his love on the cross. And it has the resurrected body and blood that remain with us. It constitutes the church. From it, the church is built the mystical body of Christ, and it is confected and given. It's made by the church and given to us. So we have everything in the Eucharist already at the Last Supper. We could say Christ already gave us his spirit there by entrusting that to his, his apostles, whom he also, in a sense, ordained at the Last Supper. We can think of the sacrament of holy orders taking place there when he told them, do this in memory of me. It was a command, and he, of course, gives the grace for them to fulfill the command that they could represent the Last Supper, which contains the whole thing uh, for us throughout the ages. So there's a giving of the Spirit there. There's a giving of the Spirit at the death of Christ when he expires because it's the full expression of his love a love which doesn't just end with him, but a love which continues to be poured out in a breathing that is done, we could say, over Mary and John there, and, and, and Mary Magdalene to a certain extent. They're kind of the church in its core. We have Mary is the, is, represents all the faithful, the bridal church, and John represents the ordained ministry uh, of the church. And then there is already an overflowing, a kind of... Uh, new life that's given in Mary Magdalene, who is there, who is the sinful church redeemed and, and present. And so in a sense, we have the church in minister, miniature there at the foot of the cross. The breathing on the apostles in the upper room is, has a particular point to it. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. And so there's a particular breathing on the apostles themselves. They were the ones mentioned as being in the upper room when Christ appeared on that particular occasion. And so there's an apostolic ministry. Again, it's this kind of ordination and the gift of the sacrament of confession, that gift of forgiveness, the empowering of the apostles through the Holy Spirit to reconcile sinners and to unite them again with Christ. And then there is a, a further outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not just on Mary and John and Mary Magdalene, a kind of church in its core in miniature, not just on the apostles and the particular ministry that they will carry out in the church, but now on the whole church. Mary at the center, the apostles and the disciples gathered around her in the, in the upper room after a novena of prayer. 
And now we really have the, the church in her wholeness constituted and sent forth on mission. So it's kind of like a wave, a wave, a wave, and a kicking them out the door. And then the preaching happens and 3,000 are baptized on that day. They're cut to the heart. What can we then do? Be baptized, repent and be baptized. And so uh, we have really the church sent out on mission. So we often say that Pentecost is the birthday of the church with that outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the church kind of in her fullness and, and sending forth on mission takes place there. So you didn't know that you were going to get quite that much of an answer, I'm sure. But thanks for uh, letting me set the stage and, and give a fuller response to that question. I, I greatly appreciate it. And to a certain extent, and a very real extent, it just highlights the misconception that I had in my head, which was the misconception I had was kind of like when you just arrive somewhere. Like, okay, now I'm here. I only got here at 1020. I didn't get here at 1020 and then got here at 3 o'clock and then got here at 9. So the, the, that's that was the misconception that I had. So whenever you, you, you think of it, that, that clarifies it very well. It kind of gets back to a, a very real thing that we've highlighted many times in here is God is love. And therefore, the perfect analogy of this is, is also love. And using your wave analogy, it made me think of kind of, you know, we, we, we pour just like the sand on the beach. It can absorb it and stays wet and mushy for a while. But after a while, after it dries out, it starts to to fizzle and, and not be cool. It gets, you know, the paint on what beach you're on, very hot. Um, and then it just loses the, the moisture of it. And I kind of think of that as being our calling to have to return to these moments. And, and as you've outlined, through the sacraments, where as we get closer to them, um, we, we get restored with, with, with the grace of, of the spirit and not to say that the spirit is going to, to outlight and leave you, but you can see the difference between the water's edge and the sand that's way up top with all the footprints in it from everyone walking through. One is much more fine and, and way less going to burn you versus the, the, the other side. Um, again, thinking of a hot tropical kind of beach there rather than, one up in the cold north, but you, you guys get get what I'm trying to say is my example there, and I think that that's part of, of of us being called in to get a renewal, and one of the themes that have kind of dotted itself in and out of the last couple of months here is that none of us are perfect, and to think that that there's something wrong with us because we need to go back and get back these graces to get back at the water's edge to get to be the sand to get cold down and wet again that's normal and expected and to think that there's a, an element of shame that there was something wrong that that now i need help i think that that's a, a very wrong misconception that is growing today i mean obviously for the last couple of episodes i've been highlighting that particularly with the culture of trying to seek fame through likes um but it, it's something that that we need to recognize that it, it is an act of of necessity to say that there's just some things that you're not capable of doing it yourself um and in in a very real sense you know people who are ones that better themselves are ones that recognize there are already people better than them at this area. So rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, they hire someone who's better at them and they make a, a teamwork effort. 
Well, in terms of saving your soul and, and becoming a, a better life, as you actually began this episode with, is the way that you think through a Catholic thinking and a Catholic teaching, which in itself is a mind-boggling thing that will take at least one episode to discuss, but sufficient to say at this point, you and your fellow priest are taught and trained to essentially be better at us and guiding ourselves to come back to the correct path. To use the analogy of, of earlier, um, that you guys have the ability to have the eyes of a shepherd because of you're coming from a place of authority that might not be exactly the way that, that Christ sees it, but certainly is closer to it than the norm and where we're going to come from it. Just as any contractor who's building a building, there will be six different opinions about how to do it. At the end of the day, you're still going to have a structure that stands everyone's going to be happy with. It doesn't mean that one's wrong or, 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 or not. They're all going to get you there. So while you might talk to, to one person, this area is emphasized or that area is emphasized. I'm willing to bet that both pathways will get you to where do you need to go. And so that that's where I kind of wanted to, to highlight that analogy you gave there that that returning to where the water's edge is is going to normally require a priest in some capacity. Um, as, as you just mentioned that all of the sacraments require a priest and that's the easiest and most efficient way to do it. And I wanted to kind of put it that way to make sure that that that's the the element of what you're trying to teach us as far as the spirit coming down with us you guys are going to be the best examples of how to do that and something that we should strive towards um well certainly uh priests have a have a conformity have a special conformity with christ because of the sacrament of of holy orders and so there's a a sacramental reality. I, I represent more than myself, and if I'm if I'm living out that sacrament, well, that's why that's why I can confect the Eucharist. That's why I can use the words of consecration and and uh, celebrate the sacraments, and it actually works. I mean, you can say the words of consecration, but uh, it won't make Jesus be present in the in the you know transform bread and wine into His presence, and so there is a a power that a priest represents more than himself. And that's, uh, that's important to understand. However, the priest is also tasked with the responsibility or the challenge to, to fill that out. So I, I can't just lean on uh, my representation. So it's like, oh, let's see if I can make another analogy. I mean, uh, I suppose, a sort of sort of like a chalice that's covered with gold, but is made of plastic or something like that. Um, you know, it needs to be changed inside, at least to be the kind of metal that can hold the gold uh, more effectively. And um, that's not a that's not a perfect analogy. But anyway, the the idea of the inside and the outside. There's I'm able to carry out a certain role, and and I do that by the sacrament of holy orders. But it it still depends on me to to become holy. <laughs> And, uh, and so that Christ will be more evident, uh, more evidently seen within me. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's like, you know, having a beautiful song, but sung badly. And the song is itself beautiful, you know, and the song has been entrusted to me. 
but I can sing it well or I can sing it poorly. I can sing it in a way that people can really hear the song. It's the, the song is really beautiful in itself. The song doesn't depend on me. It exists outside of me, but um, I'm the one that, that gets to, to incarnate it. And so uh, I, I need to keep conforming my life to be able to sing that song better and better, more and more close to uh, what it really sounds like. So anyway, those are, uh, yeah, some, some ways to, to think about these things and, and uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit again on the priesthood uh, in John and then the priesthood again with the apostles and then on the priests gathered with Mary and the whole church in the upper room, those, those waves of God's love that, that bind us together in relationships too. You know, I think it's one of the, the real disasters uh, of today is the loss of a sense of relationship as essential to who we are. So we often think of relationships as extras. I am myself, and then I have relationships. Like I, I have a shovel, and I have uh, you know, clothing. I have a relationship, but but my identity is is defined by is by relationships. Most fundamentally, my relationship with God. It's really His love that defines me uh, fully, and that relationship gets uh, played out in a whole bunch of human relationships that mediate that relationship to me. And so, my relationship with Christ, with my brothers and sisters, and then with the church. The church being itself a whole nexus of relationships. And so uh, it's just like you, you know, my hand makes sense because it's attached to my body. My hand has a relationship with my heart and my head. And so it works. If my hand gets cut off, one could even ask the question whether it's still really a hand or not. I mean, it's like some, you know, it's, Anyway, I'm getting kind of disgusting now. Sorry about that. I just, but the uh, the point being, because we talk about the church as being a mystical body, and and so the relationship within the body of the members, that hand is really defined because it belongs to my body. It has a particular quality to it that makes it my hand, different than your hand, different than somebody else's hand. And so, our our identity as a member of the body of Christ really depends on those relationships. It's, they're not just sort of added extras. <clears throat> so all of that gets worked out in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit is the love of God. It's a loving relationship. It's not an antagonistic one or a slave, master-slave one. It's a loving relationship, like a father and son or a father and daughter. And that's the the Holy Spirit who binds us together in that relational connection, that relational bond. And so that's really what he's doing in those various outpourings, those various givings that we read about in scripture and that ongoing giving that happens in the sacraments and then in our own personal relationship with God and uh, those kinds of things as well. And what a beautiful thought to end today's episode with. So, We thank everyone for listening here today, and we will be with you again next week.